0: What exactly are parables? We've been looking at parables uh, since, sep- since September, uh, and I, I was always taught that parables are earthly stories with, with a heavenly meaning, where Jesus takes you know, simple, everyday analogies and uses them to illustrate or teach a profound truth about God and the kingdom and how things work and about Christ and, and human nature and so on and so forth. And, and most parables have a primary lesson or story. Sometimes maybe one or two, but usually just one primary story. And today we're going to be looking at a passage in Matthew 13. So we encourage you to turn your Bibles there uh, or on your, 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 your Bible apps on your phones. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 13, working our way through it. I'll be reading. We'll make some comments. I'll read. I'll make some comments. So I encourage you to be kind of grounded in Matthew 13 as we start the message today. And the interesting thing about this is that we're going to look at a parable that Jesus tells about parables. Kind of the biblical version of Inception, you know, if you've seen that movie. It's a parable explaining why Jesus speaks in parables. You see, there was was more to Jesus' parables than just illustrating theology with easy-to-access analogies and illustrations. In fact, in a twist of irony, if you look at some of the parables, in Jesus' own words, sometimes he uses parables to obscure truth rather than reveal it. I know that sounds confusing, um, but hopefully as we work our way through this passage, that'll get cleared up for you this morning. So let's take a look now at Matthew chapter 13. We'll start at verse 1. And as I said, we're going to read, we'll stop, we'll read, and so kind of hang with me in Matthew 13. That same day, verse 1, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So there's a huge crowd, and Jesus obviously wanted to be heard. Maybe he didn't want to get crushed as well. So he gets in a boat, he pushes away from the shore. People gather, they can hear him, they can see him better, and he begins to teach. Verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the, shallow was, the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. So other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. And then it says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to people in parables? So evidently, a lot of people were kind of confused about this. Uh, Maybe you've had the experience, I mean, I had at times, you'll read the Bible or you'll listen to a message and you're like, okay, that's a little bit fuzzy to me. I'm not quite sure I understand where it's going here and, and, and what God means by this. And so you're in good company because the disciples had that same experience. And they come to him, and and, and to kind of paraphrase, they're saying, Jesus, why do you use parables? Why don't you just, just lay it out there? Why don't you just say what it is? Tell us what you want. Tell us what this means. It's an important one, right? It's an important question. Maybe you've wondered that at times. Why doesn't God just tell us exactly what he wants? Why why doesn't he make it so easy and so clear that nobody can miss it, that everybody can understand clearly? Why, Why does Jesus speak in parables? Why is he sometimes so subtle, the disciples are asking? In Jesus' answer, we find it in verse 11. He answered, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not for them. Does that sound fair? The disciples get the inside track, inside knowledge, but other people are confused. And Why doesn't Jesus just make it very clear to them? Often Jesus will pull the disciples aside later and say, you guys seem to have missed the point, so this is what I was talking about. He doesn't seem to do that with everybody. Why is that? Well, one thing we can pull out of this, I think, is that Jesus is teaching us through his use of parables in his statements, as we'll see, is that insight into truth about God and about Christ is a gift of the Holy Spirit. No matter how smart you are, no matter how educated you are, you cannot understand, truly understand, completely understand, without God's help, without His Holy Spirit intervening. I mean, think about this. When Peter is asked the question by Jesus, who do you say that I am? What's Peter's response? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Good insight. Way to use the old noggin. Good thinking. You're a pretty bright guy. No. Jesus says, flesh and blood, in the words, your brain, your logic, your thinking, have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Paul says basically the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12.3. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You see, sin can make our hearts so naturally dull and slanted against God that we cannot see spiritual truth when it's right in front of us. Knowledge about God, we're to use our brain, we're to pursue him with our, our heart, soul, strength, and mind. But insight into Christ does not come from ourselves. It comes from the Holy Spirit, lest anybody can boast, Right? So as I said, sin can make our hearts so naturally dull and slanted against God that we cannot see spiritual truth, even when it's right in front of us. Think about it this way. You ever meet somebody who's so biased about a particular topic or group of people that they just cannot admit that anything good can come from that person, that ideology? They just cannot get there. I'm going to step on the thin ice right now for a minute and talk about politics. Just for a moment, Okay and I'll step back onto solid ice, solid ground. For example, what do you see? So often conservatives can be so skeptical about anything that's perceived as liberal, they can't see a good motive or even a good idea, shred of a good idea. On the other hand, liberals can be so jaded and skeptical about conservatives that they can't see a good motive or a good idea. Okay, I'm going step back on the solid ground now for a minute. Let's go to something safer, sports, okay? <laughs> Let's talk about LeBron James. LeBron James, you know, depends on what generation you're from, either ranked as the first or second greatest player ever, him or Michael Jordan. And say you love LeBron James so much that no matter what he does, you see it through a positive lens. So he has a low-scoring game. He defers. He doesn't shoot like you expected he would. You say, what an unselfish player, how he makes sure his teammates get shots. Or maybe he loses his temper and he yells at a coach or a teammate or maybe even a fan. You say, wow, what passion for the game. He really cares. Or maybe he punches another player in the face. Now, he doesn't do that. Uh, he's a pretty good guy, I think. But say he does that and you say, wow, touch is obviously his love language. You know, you know, we, we can do that, right? Well, our sinful hearts are like that in reverse. We are so jaded against God, our sin nature, that we skew evidence and hide the truth from ourselves. And it is a miracle of regeneration, a miracle of of new birth for any of us to see the truth about Christ. So we can stop congratulating ourselves if we do this about being able to figure things out. We're part of the chosen few. We've, We've got this figured out. And and stop looking down on those who don't see it yet and pray for them instead. It's not our intelligence. It's not our education that has led us to these understandings. It's grace, right? It's God's spirit. It's grace. That's what the Bible teaches us. So pray for God to extend his grace to others just as he did to us and set aside any ill-founded or silly pride. Take a look at verse 12. Here's where it says, For whoever has, more will be given to them. And they will have more than enough, but whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Again, doesn't seem fair. What's Jesus saying here? Think about it this way. What Jesus is saying is, what you do with the truth that you have been given determines whether or not God will give you further insight into more truth. Seems to me that's what the scripture says. Let me say it again. What you do with the truth you have been given determines whether or not God gives you insight into more truth. Listen to what Jesus says in in verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because looking they do not see. In hearing they do not listen or understand. In other words... He's referring back to an Old Testament passage in Isaiah, and he's talking about how some of the folks of his day, some of the Jewish leaders, God had given them a truth, God had revealed truth to them, but they chose not to see, they chose not to hear. You see, the, the second insight is that insight into truth is as much a matter of the heart as it is of the head or the mind. And the condition of our heart determines whether or not we can see or hear. And so Jesus obscured truth so that only those who are pure of heart, who are sincere, who are truly seeking, can see and hear. I went through this week and compiled a list of heart things. This is not totally comprehensive, of course, but a a list of heart things or barriers that can keep us from seeing the truth about God. First is rebellion. Rebellion, right? Listen to what Jesus says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he or she will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If their will is to do God's will, if their intent is to honor God, if their intent is to know God, then they'll know what's true and what isn't true. In other words, submission to God precedes knowledge of God. Another barrier, cherishing sin in our hearts. Listen to what David says about this. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Perhaps there have been times in your life, I know there have been in mine, where we have an unconfessed, cherished sin. We don't want to let go of this. And that's why we can't see or hear from God. Scripture says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Another barrier can be apathy, just simple apathy. Listen to Jeremiah 29. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me. I will reveal myself to you, says the Lord. Think about it. When you're, when you're a dad and you have kids, what do you play hide and seek with them. The goal of playing hide and seek with your kids is not to win. You want them to win. You want them to find you. Now, You hide. But you leave breadcrumbs, you leave clues, you make noises. You you leave them enough so they can find you. God wants us to seek him and to know him. And he leaves us evidence and he leaves us breadcrumbs. He, He leaves enough for us to find him. But apathy, you know, I mean, some people never see simply because they don't, give this question of God's existence of knowing God the way that it deserves I mean I read about a pastor who had been sharing Christ with a guy and several times they would meet and the guy would ask questions and the guy would listen but it was clear the guy was just going through the, the motions he wasn't really interested and the pastor wrote that for this guy there was no shot clock on this decision in other words it wasn't an important enough a question for him to deal with now he would just put it off you know till later Another barrier is hating others. If we have resentment or anger in our hearts, it can cloud our ability to see God. John wrote this, How can he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, love God whom he has not seen? And the last one is giving others' opinions more weight than God's. How can you tell, John 5, how can you tell, excuse me, how can you believe since you accept glory? from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. In other words, we cannot perceive truth or, or, or grow in the insight and understanding when other people's opinions matter more to us than God's. So insight into truth is as much a matter of the heart as it is of the head. So Jesus sometimes spoke in parables, apparently which would draw responses out of those whose hearts were truly seeking him, not perfect, but truly seeking him, and seems to have obscured truth from those who were not interested at all, truly interested in knowing him. The condition of our heart is more important, even more important than the intelligence of our head. So let's take a look now at, at the parable that Jesus spoke. There's a parable about this parable, so also let's look at the parable. Verse 18. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears a word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. This is the the hard path, the hard heart. It's the person who is interested in the word of God, but really not that much. They, They hear it, they leave church, leave a Bible study, leave whatever, turn off the radio, and just kind of forget about it. And Satan comes along and, and steals it away. He'll do anything to keep your mind off of truth. Verse 20. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But they have no root and it's short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the, of the, of the word, immediately they fall away. This is the shallow heart, the shallow soil. It's a person who hears the message and they're really moved by it. But whatever decision they make doesn't last very long. It doesn't go deep. It doesn't take root. And when any kind of difficulty comes along, they sort of dry up and kind of get blown away. And a lot of people really, they think they're responding to God, but they're really re- responding to a feeling. And when the feeling is gone, so is the commitment. And one of the signs in scriptures of saving faith is that it endures to the end. Not that it's perfect, not that there aren't hiccups or struggles or problems, but that it endures to the end. You see, we don't follow Jesus Christ because he makes our lives better. We follow him because the scripture says he's better than life, right? Verse 22. Now, the one stone among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the words of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is the divided heart, the divided soil. It's a person who hears the word and they believe it and they want to follow it. But then there are other things that come along that that feel more important. It gets choked out by other things. And it's never a conscious decision necessarily, It's just sort of a drift, an unintentional drift. And the Word of God gets pushed to the side. There's money to be made. There's retirement to be planned for. There are kids' activities to go to. There are social uh, commitments and engagements and so on and so forth. Not bad things. But when the priority ladder is tur- list is turned upside down, the Word of God gets choked out. And they begin to drift. But, verse 23... But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does, who does produce fruit and yield some 100, some 60, and some 30 times what was sown. This is the open heart, the soft heart, the fertile soil. Now, in Jesus' day, a typical seed would have yielded, you know, eight times. One seed, eight, you know, that sort of thing. But Jesus is saying 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. So it's, it's, it's beyond anything people have experienced. It's abnormal. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. And when the word of God truly takes root in a person's life, it produces fruit. No ifs, ands, or buts. It could be 30, 60, 100. It may vary from person to person, but it produces fruit in how you treat people, in your generosity of spirit, in how you forgive people, in your excitement for worship, in your... Thirst for the word, and you're telling people about Christ, it's noticeable fruit. It's impossible for God's word to truly take root in a person's life and for that person to stay the same. God's word is powerful. That's how the universe came into creation, right? God spoke, let there be, and there was. Years ago, G. Campbell Morgan was a pastor who visited a cemetery in Italy, and he walked in, and he noticed in the middle of the cemetery a, a large, massive marble slab over a gravesite. Somehow, a hundred years earlier, when the man was buried under that big marble slab, an acorn fell into his coffin. And over the years, that little acorn grew and grew until one day it broke through the surface and began to split the marble slab. And eventually a true tree grew up and it rolled that marble slab into two pieces. Some good soil, a little water, a little bit of light. And that seed released the power to crack that massive marble slab into two. That's what the word of God is designed to do. If God's word takes root in you, you can see it. There will be some evidence that Christ is at the center of your life. You know, I love seeing the word of God go to work in people's lives, seeing that word, that little seed planted that that can split the cement slabs of depression or brokenness or addiction or pride or, or apathy. So which soil are you? The kind that gets easily distracted? The kind that lets the cares of this world choke out God's word? But maybe you are ready, really ready to receive the word of God, to let change you and transform you and renew your mind. Maybe you want to come and say, God, I'm ready. Make my heart soft and receptive. Make my heart the soil in which your word can begin to grow and produce fruit for your glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is mighty and powerful. That it returns to you accomplishing the purpose for which you have sent it. Lord, we we confess to you that so often in our lives we can be distracted. We can let things choke out your work in our lives as the word. Sometimes, Lord, we can fall into pride and think we've got, we've figured out the meaning on our own, when really, Lord, it's always your Holy Spirit that gives us insight. So, Father, we pray that we would be people whose hearts are soft and open, that your word would take root and be deeply established in our lives, that over time, the evidence of our love for you the evidence of your word in our lives would be so obvious to all who are around us we thank you father for your word we thank you lord and we offer ourselves to you in jesus name amen